Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. us it's a living testament the living word happening right before our eyes seeing God work in the present time present days that it reminds us of his redemptive work and the power that still emanates from him that still surges through us that God is still raising us from the dead amen amen so um I, I thank you for that testimony it's um definitely inspirational and um we we will we will be supportive as we possibly can with this amen all right, I'm Brandon. I am the associate pastor here at River City Community Church. Many of you know that, but for the new folks, that's who I am. Um, we've been going through a series called Same Power. Say it with me, Same Power. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we're talking through the power that um, rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that brought created order to our existence. That same power is available to us through faith. Amen. And there's something about that. Like when we, when we hear a text talk about power, you know that there's a reason why we need power, right? Otherwise, why would Paul make such an emphasis, such a, such, a, such a point that we got the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that defeated death, that lies in you? Why do we need to know that? Right? So let's read this text and let's find out why we need to know this, all right? I mean, stand with me. Let's read from um, Ephesians um, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. For those of you that have been here last week, you're probably like, didn't we just do this? We're going to do it one more time, all right? <laughs> all right, listen. Um, it doesn't hurt to read the, the scriptures over and over again, right? Let's go. It goes like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Full armor of God. So that you can take, take, a, take, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle against, is, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God once more so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me. That whenever I speak, 
words may be given me so that I will be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. Let's pray. Uh, let's, let's pray on Paul's words there. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. Dear God, teach us your mysteries. Allow us to convey your mysteries. Allow us to step into the spaces that, um, where your mysteries are unknown, Lord. And allow us to show, shine a light in places where darkness seems to dwell. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to hold your word, to share your word, and to speak your word. May we do so with conviction, may we do so with integrity, and may we do so in love. We give this to you in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Um, so the funny thing about the book of Ephesians is that uh, many scholars, theologians, and historians actually question whether or not it was intended for the church in Ephesus. They, they, they really, um, it, though it was directed towards um, the church in Ephesus in terms of what's in our Bible, um, many people believe that it was a circulated text, that it was a text that was sent around, that Paul wrote this while he was in prison, and he wanted multiple churches to see this text. He wanted multiple churches to hear about this power that lies inside of us. So this is, this is Paul's declaration to the global church from prison. And Paul is making this declaration primarily um, um, for, the, for the point that we may understand the power that, ha- that we have, the resurrected power that sits inside of us. And I think this is important largely because it just talks about the, the pervasiveness of this battle that, that Paul is talking about, um, that Paul is trying to get us uh, um, ready for. So last week, Daniel talked about how our life is carried on against the backdrop of the spiritual warfare that's going on. I mean, y'all heard that, right? That, that, our, that our lives are taking place against this backdrop of spiritual warfare. And re- whether we want to or not, we're enlisted in that war. Whether we realize it or not, we're enlisted in that war. And Paul talks to the churches that are present, and he says to them, listen, there's a war going on. There's a war going on. And when you find out about this war, you're going to be disoriented. You're going to be, you're going to be scared. You're going to have fear. And that fear is going to overtake you. And I just want to tell you, you get power. And not just any sort of power. You don't have this, the strength that, because you, you have strength in numbers or a strength of convictions or a strength of martyrdom. But no, you have the, the power of the resurrection dwelling inside of you. The power of the resurrection dwelling inside of you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead sits inside of you. And when this war comes, I want you to know one thing. I want, I want you to know two things, but one thing in particular. I want you to know that you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That you're not fighting against flesh and blood. This principle for me is a hard one to accept. It's a hard one for me to accept. All right? Because I like fighting flesh and blood. Like most of us. The spiritual stuff is hard, um, but flesh and blood is easy. So Paul, the first thing he says when he talks about this warfare, he's like, first, you got to know your enemy. You got to know who you fight. And right now, you do not fight against flesh and blood. You do not fight against flesh and blood. And now keep in mind, Paul is saying that while he is tethered to a soldier. He was, he's, he's tethered to a soldier in jail, and he's staring at this, 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 this man who's holding him captive. And no telling how ill-treated he was while he was in that space. And in that moment, Paul had to have clarity to discern who his true enemy was. Chained to the hip of this man, he had to understand, this man is not my enemy. How many of us can, while in captivity, 
while in bondage, while being ill-treated, can discern who our true enemy is in those spaces. How many would say we fight not against flesh and blood? When the pain that we feel is so flesh and blood, when the suffering we have is so flesh and blood. But Paul, in the midst of this pain that was flesh and blood, was able to discern, was able to see that we fight not against flesh and blood. And I know for a lot of us that feels trite. It's a trite conversation, especially when we have a conversation around justice. We have conversations about race. We have conversations about economic because we may not be fighting against flesh and blood, but we, we got folks who, who are uh, fraternizing with the enemy, though. Amen? We, we got folks that have been, that have been, that have been um, kind of doing the enemy's work, right? And so does Paul say to us when we got, we got individuals who are, quote, unquote, not our enemies, kind of looking like our enemies. <laughs> what do we do with that? I think it's interesting to, to put into perspective who it is that's saying this thing. Because if you remember, Paul used to be Saul. So he was the soldier. So he was the soldier. He understood that, you know, he, he's just a, a, de- a defected soldier from another side. That he used to play for the other team. And so Paul, what Paul saw in the soldier is what we're supposed to see in our enemy is the potential for him to be on our team. Because Paul knew firsthand what it was like to be on the wrong team. He understood that what held him captive wasn't some man. He understood that there was a spiritual power, a spiritual blindness, a spiritual weakness that caused Paul to see the world from a different perspective. That Paul could not, Paul knew what it was like to be blind and to play for the other team. And if we use that as the reasons for not seeing people as our enemy, then we have to hold on to the fact that we are defectors too. That at some juncture, we play for the other team. And some of us flip-flop. We, we play for the other team quite often. Amen? Amen? We can be honest here. This church, y'all. <laughs> this church. So here we have it. Paul's sitting here tied up next to this soldier, and he has one thing he tells us. He tells us, you need to know who your enemy is. You need to know who your enemy is. Because this is what happens. If we mis, mis, misunderstand who our enemy is, we might find ourselves becoming our enemy, right? We might find ourselves taking on the ethos of the enemy, right? But if, we're, if we don't bring clarity, because what Daniel said last week, I think it's very important that we understand that the, 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 the schemes of the, the enemy... It's to lie. And all he has to do is misrepresent who it is that we're fighting, who it is that we're going against. In the meantime, we preoccupy with destroying one another. So Paul, what Paul does is he, 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 he makes it very important that we understand that we recognize our enemy. And this is important for me. I think it goes across the, 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 just the spectrum of our existence, like even in relationships with, with my spouse, with my wife. I have to know that she is not my enemy. I have to understand that my battle is not against flesh and blood, that it's not against the decisions that people are making in this particular context. And I think it puts us in a different position, what it means to put on the armor of God. So as Paul specifies that we are in warfare, that this war and this battle that we're in, the enemy takes no prisoners. He has no allegiances. He has no desire to see any of you succeed, anyone be healthy. And so that you're not on a team. 
<laughs> necessarily. You're a pawn being used in a scheme to see, to steal, kill, and destroy, to see, to see humanity incarnate, to see humanity broken down, to see creation devoured by a brokenness. That, that, is, that is just the plan. There is, there is no redemptive side of this plan. It behooves us to understand who our enemy is. It behooves us to understand deeply what it, who it is and to make sure that we never put each other in that position. Amen? Amen. All right. So as Paul goes on to this, he goes on to talk about uh, like what it means to put on this, this, this armor. And he does this. He says this thing. He says, put on the full armor of God. And he says it twice. And as we were in Bible study, it was, uh, I don't know who brought it up. I think it was Kiki who said that, like he says full twice. No, it was Brooke. Brooke said it, yeah. Brooke, <laughs> Brooke said, like, you, put, you need to put on, he said it twice, you need to put on the full armor of God. Something about this comprehensive coverage of the divine, that we need to be fully covered by God's divineness, that somehow we need to be all the way wrapped around, because at one point, if you're at, at, at all exposed, in any way, that is where the enemy will find the vulnerability, and that is where he would attack. How many of y'all heard the mythological tale of, of, of Achilles? And so, like, Achilles, you know, he was girded up in every single space, and he just had one vulnerability, one vulnerability, one spot that was uncovered, one spot that wasn't covered by the divine, one spot that, 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 that made him vulnerable, and it was just his heel. And at the end of the day, that was what led to his demise. When I hear this story, it reminds me of, of that kind of soldier kind of um, setting. And so what I wanted to do was to go through the pieces of armor piece by piece today, and then I'm going to give you one truth and one lie associated with the, the armor because I can't comprehensively tell you the lies because it, it, it changes. But I can tell you um, there are truths to offset it. So I'm going to go through each one as we walk through. All right. So if we look at the scriptures, we can look at, um, let's get this together here. So here, this is what it says. Verse, verse 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Um, so in, in those days, the, the way the armor was put together was everything was hinged upon where the belt was located. Everything fit and, and was appropriately placed on you, um, determining based upon the way the belt was put on. Uh, and so what Paul is saying is that the the one thing that holds all of the armor of God together, the one thing that holds it together is the truth. And as we've been saying throughout the course of this, this series, that the enemy's tactic, the enemy's tactics have always been lies. That the one thing that holds the armor of God together is God's truth. Um, it's God's truth. All right. And so I'm going to go truth and lies through, throughout the rest of this here. So with the breastplate of righteousness, I'm going to start out with the lie. Um, righteousness is one of those things... Uh, I should probably clarify one thing first. I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I do want to articulate that warfare and, and, and the narrative of warfare has oftentimes been um, used in order to create, um, to protect cultural Christianity versus talking about the engagement in spiritual conflict. And so we, what we'll find is that people are willing to go to war for Christmas trees and, and, and all sorts of things, symbolizations and so forth. But, um, but really want to engage in a spiritual warfare that requires us to change something about ourselves. And so we'll, we'll, we're quick to, to run out and make sure that we have access to trees all over the marketplace and so forth, but very, very rarely deal with um, the way that we articulate personhood or the way that we, 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 we talk about 
um, our economics in this society and so forth. Um, and, and, and I just want to be sure that like when we articulate warfare, this isn't about pre- preservation of Christian quote unquote culture, but the warfare about the preservation of humanity as God, as God has um, defined it. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to go back to um, the truth and lies about the breastplate of righteousness. And I think this ties in line with why I wanted to correct that. Um, so righteousness is a communication um, in, in Christian circles, typically as a social location. So, like, if you, if you have a conversation with individuals in, in, in Christian spaces, you talk about, like, you're not, are you living righteous? Are you being righteous? Uh, the lie typically is, is communicated that righteousness is a manifestation of your social location, that meaning that you act like a Christian. Again, Christian culture. Like, if you, if you hold down Christian culture, you dress a certain way, listen to certain music, uh, talk a certain way, then you're, you're holding down Christian culture. Therefore, you are, quote, unquote, righteous. Righteousness is described in the scriptures is a covenantal term, meaning that it's an interaction between God and, and community, meaning that there's a covenant between God and expectation for, um, that God has for us in terms of his relationship with us, the relatedness to us in the world, the relatedness between, um, uh, between one another. And so righteousness, as God has communicated, is one that is dynamic, that engages the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with the, the divine. Amen. And so the, the way the pervasiveness of the lie sneaks in is that, like, you can achieve righteousness by looking a certain way, acting a certain way, and therefore it can be exclusionary for individuals who don't necessarily pre- present um, Christian culture in a way that you would say it needs to be presented. Make sense? All right. All right. And there's also the, um, this is my favorite one, it's um, the gospel of peace, uh, which is what is all over our feet. Um, a lie about peace that I've, I've, I like I've, we talked about a little bit at Bible study last week was that the gospel of peace is that um, and peace comes across as inactive and um, a as inactive and apathetic. That if you're going to pursue or create peace as a, as a Christian, it means not to engage in conflict. It means not to 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 push back against things that are broken or but just to do your best to stay out of the way, to not get into conflict, to not fight, to be almost a pacifist in a lot of ways around that. And um, I think one of the things Daniel brought up um, about the Beatitudes, he was like, you know, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, um, it didn't say peacekeepers. It wasn't about inactivity. And so Paul ties the gospel of the peace to your feet. So a place of movement, a talk about mobility, that, 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 that the pursuit of peace, according to Paul, when you're girded with the gospel of peace, when your feet are covered with the gospel of peace, it moves towards the spaces in which we're called to make peace. And you don't make peace in places where there's already peace. You make peace in the places where there's conflict. So you are to be moved into the spaces of conflict to make peace. Why would it be armor anyway if it's meant to just chill out and get back, right? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. But, so, like, God's calling us to go and make peace peace where there's war against God's people where there's attacks against God's people we are to go and make peace it's 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 an act of war all right um and the next one is the um the shield of faith I should have I should have told you guys to write these down so the shield of faith is one um one of the lines that's talking about the shield of faith is that 
the faith is this protection mechanism. Like the shield is a protection mechanism. And the lie that can be told around this is that if your faith is good, you should not have any problems. That if everything is working right, you shouldn't have any issues. So if there's something wrong in your life, it's because your faith ain't right. It's, how many of y'all heard that before? How many of y'all heard that before? I mean, like, this is a common, tr- like, rationalization that what's wrong with you is you ain't praying enough. Yeah, that, 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 man, that man is mistreating you. Yeah, absolutely. But that's because you ain't praying, sister. It's on you. Somehow, we, we don't take into account other people's sin and the rest of the goes with that, but, but somehow it's your fault that this is happening. You find yourself entrenched in poverty. Maybe you got to pray harder. That makes sense? So let's tell the truth about that. The shield in question Paul is referencing, this shield would have been called a sikum. Um, the shield would have been big as a door. It would been the length of the door. That's how big it would have been. And the shield was actually used to push things back. I mean, that's why it says it extinguishes the fiery darts, because largely because it was an offensive weapon. It was used as an offensive object as well as defensive. And, and it was the, the initial point of contact. So when Paul uses this analogy and this methodology, what he's saying is that faith is your first point of contact with the enemy. It's your first point of contact with the enemy, meaning that when you're in warfare, your faith will be under attack. Your faith will be under attack. So it isn't a preservation. It isn't talking about safety. It's talking about when at war, your faith is the first thing to interact with the enemy. We see that all throughout the scriptures, right? When Jesus is um, risen up out of the Jordan after being, when Jesus is risen up out of the, um, out of the, so when Jesus is risen up out of the Jordan and, um, and after being baptized and the, and the spirit descended on him, he goes and, um, into the desert and he's immediately, his faith is immediately tested by the enemy. This is, this is the context to which we find ourselves um, using the shield. And the, the other piece is the helmet of salvation. Um, and the lie is told that, um, that salvation is, is only utilized when you, uh, when we, after you die, right? That's typically what we do is like fire insurance is to make sure that like I get saved so that I can get into heaven so that I can experience eternal life and have this, this great opportunity. But the way Paul has used the helmet of salvation, meaning the, the thing that protects your most vulnerable space, the, the thing that protects your head, the, the, the helmet of salvation represents um, our understanding that what Jesus Christ did on the cross changes the way we see the world. The way Jesus resurrected, it changes the way we understand our vulnerability. It changes our perception. We, we come from this finite um, perspective and self-preservation into an eternal one. And we live and we interact and engage in warfare as if we have eternal life. Because we do. Amen? So the helmet of salvation is the most protective gear we have that is on top of our head. Like, that you are straight. You're covered. You're good. It's okay to engage in this battle. It's okay to put down the things that would, that, that, that would seem um, the things you can't take with you. Amen? And the, um, the last one is the sword of, uh, of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. The lie is that the sword is oftentimes used to, um, we use it against one another. Right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we, we use the Bible and oftentimes in finding ways to create exclusionary communities and oftentimes to find ways to minimize the personhood of others 
Oftentimes, the Bible has been used to justify oppression and atrocities leveled against various different groups of um, protective class individuals. We've, we've, we've used the Bible in multiple instances in order to, to, to consolidate Christianity or to sequester it into this small, homogenous group of people. And oftentimes, the words can be used as a bludgeon against the people that God has called us to love. The truth in this is that the word is absolutely a sword, right? That it's, it is used to put to death, to put to, to put to death the dragon of lies. But when we use it with one, against one another, the sword has to become a scalpel. That, that we're, our job is to sever the lies from the hum, human beings that are there. That we are able to, to, to slowly but surely pick away and pull away at the, the, the thing that will cause individuals to see themselves and see this world inappropriately. That we, we attack the enemy while preserving the lives of God's children. Amen? That we're, that we're precise. We take our time with it. And that we're loving in the way that we dissect these things. Amen? And so while it's not comprehensive, it's, um, it's the way that I've come to understand the armor. And one of the things that, uh, that have been kind of rolling around in me as I, like, studied this this week uh, is this idea, like, Paul's sitting there with his, with his with chain to this, this soldier. And I, I, for one, would not be able to, to discern whether or not he was my enemy because all I would know is that this person is not letting me free. This person isn't letting me be. This person isn't, isn't, isn't letting me go do what God has called me to do. And all I, all I would be able to do is see him as an enemy. But Paul, for some reason, was able not to, like, was able not to, do, was able to not hold the soldier accountable in his mind and heart. He had no judgment on the soldier because he understood what it was like to be the soldier. And as Paul is staring, and the soldier becomes a muse for him, for him to communicate to him, to communicate to all of us, this is what it means to be in the army of the Lord. This is what it means to be a soldier. And whether you want to be a soldier or not, you're a soldier. And so Paul goes on to communicate this in his, in his parting words in, in Ephesians. And then I think, and, I, and, and as I stare there, and I'm like, the way the armor was put on back then, there was just really no way for a person to put the armor on themselves. That no individual could put the armor on themselves and be sure that they didn't miss a loop, didn't be sure that they, you, only, you can't even see 80% of your body for the most part when you're standing down. So there was no way to know that you were fully girded up, that you needed like a squire or someone to help you put your armor on, or armor bearer. You needed someone to, to, to put your armor on and be sure that there were no open spaces, that there were no vulnerabilities. Ms. Catherine got up here and talked about how like, she needs her community to go through um, um, creating this, this home for returning um, sisters. Something like, started rolling in my mind. Like, we, we need that. We, we, we need one another to, to check the armor that we're putting on. That we need to squire one another. That I need to be able to look around and be like, that, your breastplate ain't, ain't on right. <laughs> Sorry, sister. <laughs> your, 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 your shoes need to be tied up. You're exposed here and there. And I need it done to me as well. I need people to say, you, you're not, you don't look like you're wearing your helmet today. I need, I need that done for me. 
we've seen what happened when the church fails to squire its people. Daniel talked last week how uh, many of the, um, the, the slave um, selling blocks were right next to churches. But this is what happens when the church fails to squire its people. When we allow the enemy to help determine what righteousness is. When someone didn't check to say it's not, you're not girded up. And I got to tell you, we're on a precipice now in our society where a moment will come where these vulnerabilities will cost us. They are costing us. And if the church continues to fail in our responsibility to squire God's people, when the allure of power and the allure of proximity to power tempts us to draw away from this responsibility, that we fail to equip the army of God, we leave ourselves vulnerable in a way that would be detrimental to God's people. They're, they're a real cost. And as I said earlier, the enemy, will, the enemy will not, will not take prisoners. So here at River City, we, we want to take seriously our responsibility to help squire one another. We want to do so in a way that, 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 that does not bring about judgment on people. We want to do so in a way that frees us to say, please check me. Check me. Look at me. Because I want to be effective in this fight. I want liberation in this fight. We need liberation in this fight. There's no other end in mind. There's no other... There's no other purpose for this fight but to be free. So we're enlisted in the war. Many of us didn't sign up for it. We didn't know. We thought we were just getting the, the perks with knowing Jesus. <laughs> Lo and behold, Jesus pulled a fast one on us. By the way, we're in a war. So <laughs> now we're in this war. We're in a fight. You're soldiers. Too bad. That's where we are. All right? That's where we are. We're soldiers. Now that we are soldiers, let's get geared up, right? Let's get geared up. Let's make sure that we stay geared up. Let's make sure that we, we hold each other accountable. Let's make sure we don't fall victim to the idea of making one another enemies. Let, 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 us, let us protect that, that, that reality. Paul made it a very astute point. It was really important to him that we knew who our enemy was. And the work that we do at River City, it can get confusing. Amen? It can get confusing. There are times I come up here and I'm like, I got some enemies out there. We have to come back to this idea we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That whatever is, is sick and that is pervasive and, 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 and making my brother sick right now, I got to pray it out of them. I, I, have to, I have to pull it out of them because their health is, 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 is emblematic of my health. I need them healthy because we need as many soldiers as we can get. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm going to bring the worship team back up. Um, I, I do hope it's helpful to understand, um, at least I know it's so metaphorical and it feels so abstract, but the reality is, is that Paul was laying out something very, very important. Paul knew something about the enemy. And it's something about when you, when you are a tool of the enemy for so long, 
And you understand that. And do you have an encounter with Jesus in the way that Paul did? There's something about being able to define the enemy with the precision that Paul does that requires us to pay as close attention as we possibly can to it. And it's not fear tactics. It's not, it's not trying to punk us into some level of commitment to some community, but it's really saying that we are vulnerable without one another. And we are vulnerable without the divine covering of God's armor. Amen? I want to pray for our community. I want to pray for our church. I want to pray for the church as a whole. As a whole. Um, I pray that we can be covered. So, blessed Father, you are uh, just a beautiful Father, a thoughtful, mindful Father. That you would take one that was once persecutor of your people and have him spread your gospel all across the world a man who was a catalyst for the enemy whether knowingly or unknowingly participating in the movement against your kingdom you called him out of that, Lord, as you've called all of us out of that. And each of us with our various different knowledge of the enemy. A call to prepare your people to engage in this battle. Knowing the mirages and camouflages that he throws out there would have us believe that We are each other's enemy. Dear God, I pray we have the discernment of Paul. That in the midst of our captivity, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of pain and suffering, that we are able to see clearly who the enemy really is. And that we dig deep down, Lord. And as Paul said, pray on all occasions. On all occasions that your, your power intervenes. That you give us supernatural sight. Supernatural courage. A supernatural stamina. To stand and fight. I said tongue-in-cheek tongue earlier, we were enlisted in an army we didn't ask to be a part of, Lord, but I am so thankful to be a part of your army. Thank you that you would include us in your victory. Thank you that you would allow us to bask in the joy that comes from your sovereignty and your greatness. May who you be in us and to us and through us influence and change this world, Lord. Give us the strength to fight. Give us the commitment to fight. And may we fight until we're liberated, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
jar of life Filled with your glorious light Out of the dark Into your marvelous light We are Raise us up where we belong Moving with power Bringing your name to the earth We're singing your praises Lifting our glorious songs Let us be light 
Hallelujah